The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I'm your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a show that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview high-profile public figures. In each show, I also highlight an exceptional organization, such as a nonprofit, a charity, a cause, or an exceptional individual who does great work in the community. After the headlines, I have two interviews today. The first one is with California Congressman Harley Ruda from Orange County. The second one is with Drexel Hurd, who is the executive director of the LA County Democratic Party, as well as the community vice president of the Stonewall Democratic Club. Here are some headlines and latest numbers for COVID-19. Worldwide, so far, 17.9 million people have been confirmed to have the coronavirus. 10.6 million people have recovered and 685,000 people have died. In the US, 4.73 million people are confirmed to have had the virus. 2.3 million people have recovered, 157,000 people have died. In the state of California, 510,000 people have been confirmed, 9,365 people have died. And finally in LA County, There have been 191,000 confirmed cases and 4,669 people have died. On Sunday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said that she has no confidence in Deborah Burks over the handling of the pandemic. Burks is a scientist on President Trump's coronavirus task force. Congresswoman Pelosi told ABC News, I think the president has been spreading disinformation about the virus, and she is his appointee, so I don't have confidence there. No. President Donald Trump explicitly floated delaying November's presidential election on Thursday, lending extraordinary voice to persistent concerns that he will seek to circumvent voting in a contest where he currently trails his opponent by double digits. Hours later, Trump seemed to acknowledge the move was meant primarily to inject uncertainty into an election he appears determined to undermine, though it didn't entirely back away from the notion of a delay. Trump actually has no authority to delay an election, and the Constitution gives Congress the power to set the date for voting. Lawmakers from both parties said immediately there was no likelihood the election would be delayed, and even some of Trump's allies said that his message reflected the desperate failing of a badly losing candidate. On Sunday, Congressman Jim Clyburn said that he believes President Trump won't leave the White House willingly should he lose the election in November and warned that the president might invoke an emergency action to remain in office. Uh, That is from Congressman Jim Clyburn. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. I'm afraid that today's let's get blunt topic is nothing that hasn't been discussed before or said before by countless people. But more than ever now with our country, as well as the world, in turmoil with COVID-19, people's health, financial situation, and American suffering, we've been abandoned by mostly by our Republican leaders. And I say that and I single them out because it's time to get blunt. The Senate, majority Republican, has decided to shut down and take a break while the House is still in session. And they've done this after having had over two months to decide what the next stimulus package, the second one, would look like. But they haven't done anything. And, well, they have. They've they've thought Democrats have tried to help the American people. So people are suffering. They are afraid of losing their homes, their livelihood, not knowing if they will get another unemployment check, if that will include the extra 600, if not, what that would look like on top of uh, many other questions and uncertainties that exist, including failure of testing, delays, and such. So we have to hold them accountable. We have to keep talking about it. Senator McConnell has 
basically fought against pretty much anything that helps working Americans, middle-class middle, middle class Americans, which is majority of the country. And it's unfathomable, it's unconscionable. Uh, of course, most of us have given up on our president to do anything, but um, at least we need to hold our senators and or just any member of Congress accountable to do their job and not just take a break and abandon at a time when we're in crisis. So we just keep talking about it and we get ready for November 3rd and we do our best to live one day at a time and, and just be aware. And if COVID-19 has done anything that's positive, perhaps if one can say that, it's that it's made more people aware that politics uh, play a big role and we cannot be we can't afford to ignore it because if you don't do politics, politics will do you. So there it is. We needed to get blunt about that. Let's get blunt. Congressman Harley Ruda was elected to Congress in 2018 after a historic campaign in Orange County, California. It was the first political campaign for the congressman. Congressman Ruda is a member of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, the chair of the Subcommittee on Environment, and on the Subcommittee on National Security. He is also a member of the Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure and Subcommittees on Highways and Transit, as well as Water Resources and Environment. Hi, Congressman Ruda. How are you? I am well, thank you. Thank you for being on the Blunt Post with Vic. Appreciate it on this, uh, I, during this really crazy time for you, I'm sure. No, I appreciate the opportunity, thank you. You know, just to begin, I wanna see, you know, things change so quickly and every day it's a, just a new set of things that come down. From your perspective, the way you see in terms of COVID-19 recovery and everything that's going on nationwide and as well as your district, Orange County, what's your perspective, what's your general sort of take on things? That a lot of people are hurting and are very scared right now because benefits are running out and there is deep, broad concern for working families across America trying to figure out how they're going to pay rent, pay their mortgage, and put food on the table. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I know that there are, you know, the Senate is still working on the second phase and debating about, well, I think at this point the, the second 1200 is going to happen, but they're debating whether the $600 for the extra 600 for unemployment is going to stay or it will be 200 and all of that. I just can't understand what the, how Washington, D.C. actually sees their, you know, the Republican and the, the, the Senate proposal as anything that really meaningfully helps Americans. Well, Vic, the frustrating part is that the Senate is not working on figuring this out. They left town. They uh, have left uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, the House is still in session. And the Republicans have had 11 weeks since we passed the HEROES Act to yeah. come up with a counterproposal to have an ability to begin earnest negotiations with the Democratic caucus on uh, finding common ground. And the Republicans can't even find common ground among themselves. There is no consensus between the Senate and the White House. There's not even consensus within the Republican GOP Senate. And as such, we have left Americans and working families across the country uh, left grasping at straws in the air trying to figure out how to make ends meet because yeah, and I, when I'm talking with, with colleagues these days, I, I always say we're still in the honeymoon phase. We're still in that phase when you break and you, when you fall and break like your arm, but it's still warm and you, you don't feel the pain. The pain of COVID-19 when it comes to financially and to American families, I think it's, it's coming down the line and it's, it looks very scary uh, to me, at least, just my perspective of what that's going to look like from evictions to people losing their homes and foreclosures and things like that. And, you know, as far as the Senate, it just seems like Senator McConnell has just taken such a hard line. And 
what is the solution? I was talking to a friend and, and she said, why, what are we not doing? So what are we not doing, like Americans? I know that we always think that our members of Congress and our politicians should just fix everything and we're the magic wand. What can we do to influence and to maybe turn something in D.C.? Yeah, Vic, I think that's the frustration that we're all experiencing right now. Is the, it almost feels like we're back to the beginning. Right. We're back to the beginning in the sense that benefits have run out, support, safety net have ended. We are seeing infection rates, again, go back to what we saw at the beginning. We are seeing uh, daily death tolls starting to uh, increase again and getting back to the 1,000-plus per day. Uh, we are seeing testing not providing the tracking and tracing that we had hoped so that we could help bring down the numbers and get back to opening up the economy in some way, some fashion that would move us back towards normal. And uh, there's a lot of reasons that we are struggling. A lot of it is leadership and a lot of it is lack of action in the Senate to support these programs that we have previously implemented that are so important to provide that safety net. But without strong leadership in the Senate, and more importantly, without strong leadership in the White House to provide clear guidance to the Senate GOP as to what needs to be done and support those outcomes, coupled with strong leadership in modeling appropriate behavior, has put us back at the beginning. And I think to me and most Americans, the most frustrating part of this is that we put our lives on hold. We did what we were supposed to do. We sheltered in place. We, uh, we took the actions that our government asked us to do. But the government, under this administration, made poor decisions, did not support masking, did not support uh, the slow reopening of the economy. And as such, we're all paying a heavy price again very well said thank you for that this is the blunt post with vic i am your host vic jeromey and you're listening to my interview with california congressman harley ruda and i and i've said this before and i'm going to continue to say that those of us that live in california are fortunate because we do have many members of congress such as yourself who are very proactive and are, are leaders are true leaders and in that, I want to switch to a bill that you have introduced, um, the Helping Business Reopen Safety Act, which provides a tax credit to small businesses and nonprofits of up to $25,000 annually for purchasing protective equipment uh, and other supplies. I want you to talk a little bit about that and where you are with it. Vic, the bill you're talking about, Bipartisan Helping Businesses Real Safely Act of 2020. The two things I think are worth really noting about how this legislation came about is first, this is bipartisan legislation. This is where, in spite of the partisanship and bickering you see in Congress, the vast majority of the work we do is bipartisan. And here's a perfect example of members working across the aisle mm -hmm. to find out what small businesses need. And second was the reason and why this legislation came to fruition was the fact that I've been doing small business walks during the pandemic, during the COVID-19 crisis in my district with uh, uh, all of the, uh, the cities in the district. And in walking around with these small businesses, seeing how in spite of all the challenges they are facing, them keeping a positive attitude about getting through this, helping each other, and and, and helping do the right thing to provide an environment that is safe for their employees and their customers. But to do that costs a lot of money. They are obviously having to provide more uh, personal protective, protective equipment. They're having to provide shields in many cases to provide distancing between them and customers and a lot of other um, required actions to make their place of business safe to do business. And it just seemed natural that as they are struggling to pay their bills with reduced, reduced revenues uh, to give them a tax break on the increased expenses associated with providing a safe environment for their, for their employees and their customers. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's no wonder it's bipartisan because it makes so much sense and it's so needed. 
Good luck with that. I read about it earlier. It seems perfect thing to do for so many people, especially after what businesses have gone through the last few months. Uh, I want to... Hey, Ben, can, can, yes, can, can we go back? I, I do want to point out sure. one thing that's interesting is that you know, we are fortunate that the congressional membership from California has done uh, an exceedingly excellent job of helping push forward the COVID-19 legislative packages, including the CARES Act and, and then the HEROES Act. But unfortunately, a lot of the response to COVID-19 is at the local level. And in my county, that's Orange County, mm -hmm. uh, County Board of Supervisors, that takes the lead. And even though we secured $550 million being federal government for our county, we have a lack of leadership at the county level who uh, is unfortunately doing what the Trump administration is doing and uh, providing mixed messages, not supporting masking. At one point, our health officer uh, was basically forced out of the office because she asked for a uh, countywide uh, mask mandate and ran into county supervisors, including the chair of the county supervisors, who was unwilling to support that. Now they do at this time, but if they had done that back at the time that the uh, chief health officer was recommending it, we would not be in the situation there right now. That is egregious. That's, that's the first thought that comes to my mind, that in 2020, for something that affects the public's health, that someone would be mistreated like that, it just seems so egregious. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I did want to ask you, just in general say, you know, are there any specific challenges in your district in terms for, you know, regarding COVID-19 and all of that? And it was interesting for you to mention about the County Board of Supervisors because a lot of people feel the same way about the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors and ground standing and just being sort of not cooperating with the masses or, or with the majority. So it's interesting to hear that it's happening in Orange County as well. It, it is, and it's frustrating because we know that the quickest path back to economic vitality and recovery is everyone doing their part. And that part includes wearing a mask when in public, and especially when you're in public and you can't uh, physically distance uh, six feet or more. And to have elected leaders be unwilling to, uh, one, unwilling to accept it, or, or worse yet, fight against it, uh, creates mixed messages to the public and actually slows down the opening up of businesses and the return to something closer to normal. And that's the part I just, I, I get frustrated with because this is not a big ask. I mean, this is to be like asking people to wear uh, shirts and shoes when they walk into a restaurant right. uh, or a business. Uh, we're just asking you to wear a mask during a pandemic to help save yourself, save your family, save the people you're around, uh, save your community, and help save small businesses as well. Yeah. And uh, uh, this is not a big lift. In fact, I was on, I was on an interview uh, earlier this week, and uh, one of the questions was, in going back to school, do you think it's too much of a task to have uh, kids in elementary school wear masks? I mean, don't you think it's unreasonable to expect them to be able to understand why they need to wear masks? And, and, I, and I thought that was uh, an unusual question because I think kids are actually really great at this. You know, they, they get that when you go to school, you have to have certain things ready. Right. You have to uh, have your homework, you have to have your books, you have to have your shoes tied, you have to have a backpack on, you know, you're all set, ready to go. Well, in today's world, you got to wear a mask, too. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with California Congressman Harley Ruda. I, yep. I bet that you, like some of us, but especially as, as a member of Congress, sometimes you must feel powerless because there are other leaders that should be doing what they're doing, but they're not. And it, we're all connected, so it affects everyone. Right. You know, although, as I said, most of us sit back and think, Oh, let the Congre you know, members of Congress fix it. Like they can just switch, you know, turn something on. But it is, it's, it's a time that I think we have, you know, obviously we're living one day at a time 
and living life on life's terms, but also sort of like accepting and surrendering some things that are completely out of our control, like our you know, lack of leadership in DC, uh, our, our president. And we know one of the reasons we're in this mess is because he got rid of pandemic preparedness that was created by President Obama. And I was reading about, you are on the Committee on Oversight and Reform, and you're the chairman of the Subcommittee on the Environment. And you recently led a hearing uh, questioning FEMA Administrator Peter Gaynor about his disaster preparedness plans, uh, you know, pertaining to like, climate change um, and such. We're so wrapped up with other things. It's so great to see that you're like looking beyond just the immediate. If you can share some highlights from what's been happening with that. Sure. Actually, the pandemic response team was developed under George W. Bush and passed on to the Obama administration, who enhanced it, who then met on the changeover from the Obama administration to the Trump administration, uh, passed on literally the game plan on how to deal with pandemics and a team of seasoned individuals who were prepared in a worst-case scenario if that should arise to be able to address it. And uh, as you pointed out, uh, that team was eliminated by the Trump administration. And the Trump administration likes to claim that they, the coverage were bare and uh, that they weren't in a position to be able to respond to the pandemic because the Obama administration uh, left the coverage bare. And that's just unadulterated BS. Uh, even if there was an element of truth to that, the fact that President Trump's administration has been in power for over three years they should have figured that out by now and fixed it if there was even a kernel of truth to it. But we know there's not a kernel of truth to it. So because of that, because of the uh, lack of preparedness by this administration, my committee, the Environmental Subcommittee for Oversight, uh, held a meeting with FEMA and uh, the FEMA administrator to understand how prepared FEMA is for the upcoming fire season and hurricane season. And the real concern we had is that, you know, it's important that we recognize people working at FEMA are trying to do the right thing. Uh, there are thousands of employees who are there to support Americans in their time of need. But this is unprecedented times where you have a pandemic going on that is stretching the resources and assets of FEMA and other organizations to their limit right before the historical fire and hurricane season. And to be able to manage the potential of multiple hurricanes and uh, wildfires during a pandemic mm -hmm. in different protocol because of the pandemic, are we prepared and ready? And it, it, certainly we have a greater concern, too, because while these are hardworking Americans who are committed to doing the right thing, they have poor leadership in the Trump administration that provides conflicting uh, guidance and leadership. So uh, I asked uh, Administrator Gaynor uh, head on, I said, just tell me, have you guys got this? Do you have America's back if we have severe hurricanes and wildfires during the pandemic? And the answer was yes. And you know, I want to believe him, uh, and I, I hope he is right. Uh, unfortunately, we are going to find out in the coming months. Uh, but uh, in spite of the lack of leadership in the Trump administration, I'm hoping that these individuals under his leadership will have us covered. Wow. Well, you did your part, right? And we hope we don't even have to see if they are or not. Fire season, right. uh, Orange County has been hit several times very badly. Speaking yeah, of, and, you know, Vic, too, I mean, when you think about this, right, so, uh, you know, FEMA's job, you, you look at a potential hurricane and what can happen with flooding and, and the need for shelters and gyms and makeshift uh, arrangements provided by FEMA, you have to still be able to provide the appropriate uh, CDC guidelines for managing these people who are temporarily homeless due to these weather events. Yeah, makes it more complicated. Okay, Absolutely. Right. 
Yeah, and speaking of, you said, unprecedented times. And I just keep thinking that with everything that's going on, all the different departments that people are trying to uh, get aid, such as EDD and other agencies, how has your office been impacted with this sort of surge of inquiries and calls and pleads for help? We see a significant increase in constituent services in our office, and that's our job. We're here to help. So we have on our website, www.house.gov, a really detailed uh, information and links to various programs that is accessible and available to our constituents and anybody in the U.S. Uh, to help navigate these challenging times. In addition, uh, we're there to also help if you, if one of our constituents is having trouble uh, receiving their, their benefits, under Social Security or disability or their uh, stimulus check or need help understanding how to get the access to the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, we are there to help them. But we've also been instrumental in bringing dozens of people back who were stuck overseas and uh, working with the State Department to bring those individuals back and make sure that they can be reunited with their families. So the workload has gone up, but I'm fortunate that we have an excellent team who has really had tremendous results on behalf of our constituents. That's and great. I should add, too, that we're all working together. So uh, you rightfully pointed out that sometimes it's an assembly member, sometimes a state senator, sometimes they may be seeking help when it should be a different representative. And that's fine. We will help guide you to the right place as well and work with our fellow members at the state level or uh, contiguous members of Congress to, to help find the best result as quickly as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, people have been saying we're all in this together. Uh, makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Congressman Ruda, before um, I know your time is very precious, but I want to thank both of you for your time, for your candor, and good luck. Uh, I feel for you, the workload that you have. Thank you again for being on, on my show. Hey, thanks, Vic. It's been a pleasure to be with you, and thank you for everything you're doing to help educate our listeners to how, how to take care of themselves, how to stay safe during this pandemic, and how to be a part of the uh, solution. And uh, for that, we're grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman. I appreciate it. All right. You take care. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. That was Congressman Harley Ruda from Orange County, California. Thank you for being on the show today, Congressman. The Blunt Post with Vic. Drexel Hurd is the executive director of the Los Angeles County Democratic Party, as well as the community vice president of the Stonewall Democratic Club, the nation's oldest LGBTQ plus and feminist political group advocating for progressive issues since 1975. Drexel, thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I am very well. I appreciate your time. As the executive director of the LA County Democratic Party, you must be super busy right now. It is a very, uh, a very busy time. You know, we're only we're less than 100 days away from uh, you know, the most important election of our lifetime, and uh, we got a lot of work to do on behalf of not only Joe Biden, but uh, candidates here um, all across LA County. Yeah, and one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you is that we are, as a nation, and those of us that even follow uh, very closely all the, pretty much, you know, all the political things that happen, we're so consumed with COVID, and for good reason, it's, you know, it's a pandemic, and it's killing so many people that uh, sort of what's coming down and, and at our road to November 3rd it sort of becomes secondary. And I know that since you have this huge perspective and you're in the middle of it, um, tell me just in general, where are we? <laughs> what What is happening that we're not seeing? Um, look, I think that the pandemic is, is first and foremost at the top of everybody's minds. Um, but it is at the top of everybody's minds in the sense that it does consume uh, other parts of this electoral process. 
uh, whether or not we're talking about vote by mail, whether or not we're talking about uh, getting voters out, I'm sorry, getting uh, volunteers out to um, to help on behalf of candidates, whether or not uh, it's rallies by candidates. You know, so this pandemic has certainly changed the landscape of what we uh, traditionally have seen during the election cycle. Um, but at the same time, you know, just this week, you know, Republicans uh, have, have gone home, uh, at least at the U.S. Senate, um, you know, cutting off aid uh, or at least the unemployment payment um, at the federal level um, and the $600 weekly that uh, that Americans relied on through this pandemic. Um, so those are the, I think that's where everybody is in their head right now. Uh, so I don't think it's that people aren't paying attention to what's going on because mm -hmm. it's affecting their daily lives. Uh, I think this is the time where uh, more than ever, from what I've seen, people have certainly um, taken note of how much government does actually affect your daily life. Uh, and the idea of not paying attention to it anymore um, is, I think those days are gone. Yeah, we can't afford to do that. So I, I like your sort of, you know, your what you said in your general sort of emphasis on, on what's happening. So let's go a little bit deeper now and talk about a couple of things you brought up, starting with this sort of election, I don't know what you would call it, Donald Trump's latest uh, attempt at undermining the election, uh, saying that the voter registration, I mean, voter uh, mail-in ballots are going to open us up for fraud, etc. Therefore, we should delay the election. What is the legitimacy? I mean, I know that it's not, he can't do that. That's Congress's job to determine when voting happens. But how much weight do you put in what he says, considering that he sort of acted like a cowboy and dunked whenever he wanted? And is that something that could actually potentially happen? Well, no. I mean, the president, you've got a president who doesn't quite understand the Constitution, uh, not, only at, uh, not, not only when he's, you know, out there talking about, you know, how he deals with religion, how he deals with uh, with human rights across the board. Um, but in this case, uh, the election uh, date is set. It's constitutionally mandated. He can't change it. Uh, and and so it's just all smoke. It's just all smoke. And uh, we should be more concerned, uh, not necessarily with the fact that there is going to be, uh, not whether or not the president can do that, but what happens after that when he actually loses. That is, he's, he's trying to sow the seeds of, of, of doubt in people's heads. Right. Uh, I'm sure that they have seen the polling that says that people generally are typically skeptical uh, of vote by mail, not because they don't believe that, that they don't believe in voting by mail. They just believe that somebody like Donald Trump is going to make sure that their vote doesn't get counted. And so that's going to be the challenge for Democrats over the next uh, few months. Uh, to try to make sure that people understand that we've been voting by mail for a very long time. Absentee voters, military voters across the, across the, around the world have been voting by mail forever. The president himself votes absentee ballot. <laughs> right. And, and, and the rest of his family and the rest of his, uh, his cabinet. Um, so it's only they're flying back to their home states to vote. Um, so, like, that's really what it comes down to, is reminding people that, and you saw Adam Schiff actually tweeted about it today. Right. Uh, where he said, and this was, we were tweeting about it, we're having this conversation on Sunday, I may doing it on uh, some Monday thing. Um, but uh, Sunday, you know, he tweeted that uh, that absentee ballots is the same thing as vote by mail, and that nobody should be confused. And I think the more that we continue to, to, to say that, I think the more that people are going to be um, less concerned. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jorami, and you're listening to my interview with Drexel Hurd, who is the executive director of the L.A. County Democratic Party. Yeah, and, and really be able to tell the difference between propaganda and facts, separate well, them. that comes out of the president's mouth, you just assume it's propaganda. <laughs> right, it's true. <laughs> This is this is true. And, <laughs> you know, just going back to the Senate, I mean, what a... How um, how egregious for the Senate and Mitch McConnell to have just sort of left and uh, taken a break when the Americans are 
getting more anxious and more fearful of what's to come financially and hurting. Uh, it's just uh, sort of unfathomable. Of course, the house is still in session. So I want to sort of go next. Let's talk about the protests in Portland and, of course, Seattle. And the, the fact that Trump is sending or has been sending federal agents that are sort of disguised, if you will, with no badges and cars that are unmarked, uh, it just sounds like USSR, 1970s or 80s. How did we get there? Oh, well, I think we got there because uh, the president pretended like he is, like you said at the beginning, this Catholic. Uh, and he just, like I said, he does not quite understand the Constitution. He certainly does not understand Positanas. He certainly does not understand that you can't just send uh, federal troops. Let me rephrase that. You can send federal troops uh, in, uh, but there are limitations. Uh, I think that what you saw from Kate Brown, Governor Brown out of uh, Oregon, um, and, and and the governor of Washington and, and in Chicago, and you saw uh, local leaders across the country say, well, federal agents aren't welcome in our cities, and certainly not in our states. We have a, and I think what you saw last week, uh, they've already pulled those federal agents out of uh, out right. of Portland and out of the state. So it's it's not. Um, it's, it's he threw a bone out there, tried to see what was going to take, uh, it didn't, uh, and, you know, that's what this president does. He just throws things out there and tests, and, 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 and really tests the nation to see how we're going to react, uh, and it's unfortunate because, you know, we're already going through so much as a country, financially, uh, you know, economically, uh, you know, uh, neighbor to neighbor, healthcare wise, that we are so, this president consumes and switches on a dime to control the story, and that's what he's very good at. Yeah, absolutely. And here we are. That's how we, that's how we got here. We right. let the president control the story. Absolutely. So let's, let's change the topic on that note <laughs> and, and go to, uh, I'd like to see your perspective on who you think would be the pick for vice president by... Uh, <laughs> I think we're going to find out this week. You know, we'll find out the next day or so, the next couple, not day or so, we'll find out the next couple of days. Uh, you know, I think every, you know, the vice president's already indicated that it's going to be a one. Right. Uh, every name that we have seen float out there uh, is, is, is more than qualified. Uh, it's not only vice president, but to be president. This idea of pitting all of our female women candidates against each other um, in some way over the last few weeks, not mm -hmm. only from uh, not only from uh, Republicans, but certainly from Democrats. Um, we saw Chris Dodd go after Kamala Harris uh, pretty publicly. Right. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's all noise, and at the end of the day, it's going to be the vice president's choice. Mm -hmm. um, who it's going to be. But we didn't know, if you remember, in 2007 or 2008, when Barack Obama announced Joe Biden as the pick, we didn't, like, we didn't know. Right. <laughs> you know, like, we had no idea. All these names were floating around. We had no idea. Yeah. Was it going to be Hillary? Was it going to be John Edwards? Was it going to be, you know, it could have been anybody. Um, in 2016, when Hillary announced Tim Kaine, Tim Kaine wasn't even on the radar. Right. But he wasn't on the he wasn't on the massive radar in terms of in terms of uh, you know the speculation the deep stakes. Right. Uh, you know, Julian Castro was the name that everybody was talking about. But at that time, here you just don't know. So I mean, it's it's one thing for you know, Kamala Harris obviously is the the the, <coughs> the leading front runner in all of this. Right. So let's talk so, about right here. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about let's 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 get blunt. Let's let's homage the name of the show. I'd like I'd like to know your radar and your top three picks. Um, I would say Kamala Harris definitely my own personal. Mm -hmm. um, we also have uh, Karen Bass is, is great. I think that mm -hmm. uh, uh, she certainly would be at the top. But I also, uh, gosh, you know, I always step back between like a. Uh, uh, Catherine uh, Cortez Masta and, and a Tammy Duckworth. Uh, uh, you know, so mm. but, you know, I, I think that Susan Rice's name has been thrown out there. Uh, I guess I like 
rile everybody up. She's not going to get folks excited. Yeah. Um, but I think everybody in California says vote for Kamala uh, or Cam Bass. And, okay. and, and that just goes to show you here, you know, we're both here in L.A. County. That just goes to show you how, how, how much influence L.A. County has uh, yeah. to have two L.A. County politicians be at the, be at the top of the, uh, the short list. Indeed. My personal uh, favorite is uh, Senator Harris, obviously. Not obviously, but that's just who I... <laughs> I mean, that's... that's. I would love to see that ticket. Of course, it doesn't matter who it is. We're going to go out and vote May, you know, right. November 3rd uh, and rally behind the entire team, whomever that team uh, is composed of. So I like it. I like that you, you, know, you brought up a couple of names that I hadn't even thought about. So I want to go focus a little bit more on what you do as the executive director of LA County Democratic Party. What are some of the uh, initiatives or programs or sort of major things that you're working on from 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 your position? Sure. So uh, that's a really good question. You know, I took over this job in December, so not too long ago. Uh, kind of got thrown into the uh, the primary, and of course into uh, into uh, this November election, but at the same time, so I think if people kind of look at the party as kind of also like how the DMC operates. There's the party side of it, there's the day-to-day -day operations of the party, mm -hmm. and then there's the central committee, which also is kind of like the DMC members uh, who vote on a lot of positions and things like that. So my job is to manage both of those at the exact same time. Okay. Uh, you know, here in LA, we have 3 million Democrats, we're the largest in the nation. Uh, and certainly the largest uh, in, in LA County. I'm mean, sorry, largest in California. And so, you know, day to day, you know, I I have phone calls uh, often, uh, lots of them, as you could probably imagine, uh, yeah. to talk about, uh, you know, what's next, what our candidates need, what our endorsed candidates need, uh, what our voters need, what our grassroots organizers need, and, and managing all of that um, and, and coming up with a plan to make that happen. Uh, we have a very good relationship with the state party, uh, and, and and we try to make sure that we're all on the same page, uh, because at the end of the day, uh, the Democratic platform, we, we adhere to the, the ideals of the Democratic Party, uh, and we want to make sure that everybody's on the same page when it comes down to that. Uh, in terms of things that we're looking at towards the future, uh, you know, we, 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 we've got, uh, you know, once the election's over on November, uh, well, who knows what's going to be over in November, to be honest with you, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, um, you know, we've got to hit the ground running on making sure that we can recruit more young people. Uh, Mark Gonzalez, who's the chair of the party, is the youngest uh, chair that we've ever had. Uh, I'm the youngest executive director that we've ever had. And um, and so our focus is going to be recruiting and, and, and training young uh, Angelinos on uh, running for office uh, across the county. Uh, we, of course, in addition, addition to that, we have to do a lot of fundraising um, and making sure that we maintain the momentum. When, when Joe Biden wins in November, we certainly have to do our job to maintain the momentum because what will happen, and it happens every election, is that we just kind of drop off at the end. Right. Because we've been so consumed with an election for two years um, that it's exhausting. Right. Um, but we've got a lot of things to repair across the country. Uh, and, and uh, you know, L.A. County has, has always been at the front of that, and certainly the L.A. County Democratic Party has certainly been a leader in making sure uh, that we have, uh, with our members, um, and certainly the Central Committee, uh, has always been the most progressive in the state, uh, and, and we've been leading all the issues um, across California. So, you know, my job, like I said, is to kind of manage all of that in one day.
he was on, you know, he wasn't on my radar. It wasn't something that I was even thinking about. Um, and so I'm really fortunate to have been asked to do this job. And um, uh, I, I look forward to another four years of doing it because Mark Gonzalez just got reelected. So I serve at the pleasure of the chair, too. So. <laughs> well, it came, it came looking for you rather than the other way around. So. And, and, you know, I, 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 I certainly, you know, everything happens for a reason. Sure. And um, I'm certainly glad that I was tasked to do this and to get us through this pandemic mm -hmm. uh, as best as possible and, and to put systems in place to where our members don't feel as disenfranchised uh, with limited capabilities as they have right now. Normally, when we have our, our meetings, our central committee meetings, everything is done in person. That's what everybody's used to. Right. So it's my job to make it as easy as possible uh, for those members to continue to do the work that they're used to doing. Right. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jorami, and you're listening to my interview with Drexel Hurd, who is the executive director of the L.A. County Democratic Party. So normally I ask this question toward uh, the end of an interview, but because we're talking about the L.A. County Democratic Party, you know, KPFK reaches 18 million households in Southern California from Santa Barbara to um, Baja, Mexico, actually. So I want to give you the opportunity to tell everyone that's listening, what is it that they can do for their part to help right now? That's a good question. Um, you know, we live in this kind of um, social media-esque world. Um, part of that is, is being consumed by a lot of information and a lot of misinformation. And I think what I think people need to do is, one, uh, make sure that you're listening or watching or reading um, not opinion pieces as often. Because mm -hmm. opinion pieces are just that. They're opinion. They're not based on a lot of fact. Right. Uh, and, 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 and if you're going to read an opinion piece, decipher the facts from somebody's personal opinion. At the same time, as we saw through the George Floyd um, uh, uh, case and the Breonna Taylor and the Elijah McClain uh, and, 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 and the, and, uh, the uh, uh, I think her name is Vanessa, but he, I think she was the uh, the, the army uh, army um, woman out of Fort uh, Hood. Uh, those cases are really important uh, to remember, and um, I think it's just a matter of continuing to have those conversations with your circle. I know a lot of folks out there are like, well, I don't like to talk politics. Well, listen, those days are all long gone. You know, you talk politics all the time. What I do is politics, right? Politics is a science. What you do every day is you talk issues. If you're talking health care, if you're talking uh, how it's going to affect uh, things that are going to affect your family. I saw so many theater friends of mine try to rally each other around and make sure each other had the information that they needed to make sure that they could live and that they weren't, they weren't going to be going hungry every day to make sure that they could get the right employment that they needed. You know, and that, from a community standpoint, like, that's a lot. You know, and that's how we're supposed to be doing it. We're supposed to be out there helping each other and make sure we can get through this together. Because that's the only way it's going to happen. Uh, is by making sure that, you know, is that we have, and I talk about all the time, especially when we have a healthcare debate, you know, we have a moral problem in the country. And we certainly did before this pandemic, in the sense that we don't take time to think about the person next to us. We're so concerned with ourselves or our immediate circle that we forget that there are other people out there. If, 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 if we spent the balance of the time that we do thinking about ourselves, thinking about somebody else, and doing what we need to do for somebody else, I think we'd all be in a better position. You know, we cannot afford to just say, I don't want to get involved in politics and such. And it reminded me of a a quote I read, and I'm probably paraphrasing it, and I don't know who said it, but it was something like, if you don't do politics, politics will do you. Uh, yep, that is very true. Right. And, and that, that is very true. <laughs> Vanessa, Vanessa Gowan, uh, out of Fort Hood, that was the name of the, uh, right. uh, the, the, the woman out of Fort Hood, Texas. But that's really what it comes down to, is, yeah. is we have to, you know, if this pandemic has taught us anything. Uh, it is that we have an, we have uh, an obligation to re-look at uh, our, uh, our how we manage healthcare in this country. We can tell that companies are being forced to re-look at 
uh, how they're paying people, because you've got Republicans out there saying, well, people are making more than now than they would at their own employer. Well, why is that? Why is $600 more than what you would be making at an employer? Right. That's a problem. It's a sad so discovery, it's just, right? It's, 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 but it's something that we've all known for, at least, at least you know, Democrats have been beating the drum about uh, for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, you know, when the Trump tax cuts came out uh, a couple of years ago, Republicans had this mindset in their head, and, and, and from from Reagan on down, trickled down as if trickled down economics has worked. Right, which doesn't. And it just has not. And the Trump tax cuts were there to help businesses provide more incentives, more health care opportunities, more pay, more money in people's paycheck for uh, employ, employees. And that yeah. has not happened. <clears throat> so you're going to have a president go out there. He cannot, you see, if you ever watch this president, he cannot run on a record of success in this country. Because he doesn't have it. Zero. There's nothing that I, I ask every Republican this. I'm like, what has the, uh, have the tax cuts, have the Trump tax cuts benefited you? Yeah. No, but they, they, no. Okay, then that's your answer. Right. You know, so that's mm-hmm. that's really what it comes down to. And I think more and more people are starting to realize that. And you know, unfortunately, to the pandemic, to really get people to start to to start to have those uh, serious conversations. Had this pandemic not happened, we wouldn't be having the conversations about George Floyd and Black America that we're having right now. Well, that was great. Thank you so much, Drexel. I really appreciate your time, and you're yeah, welcome back anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Drexler Hurd, who wears many hats. He is the executive director of the L.A. County Democratic Party, as well as the community vice president of the Stonewall Democratic Club and sits on boards of several other nonprofits. Thank you for being on the show, Drexel. The Blunt Post with Vic. I have a quote for you today. It's from Plato, and it's about tyranny. He said, the people have always some champion whom they set over them and nurse into greatness. This and no other is the root from which a tyrant springs. When he first appears, he's a protector. Before I go, I'd like to uh, thank my hardworking producer, Ricky Herrera, as always. And thank you for being with me again on The Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. Uh, For more information, please visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at Vic Jarami. Both Twitter and Instagram are at Vic Jarami, V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you. The Blunt Post with Vic.